you are listening to the art of the matter hosted by arvind vijay mohan ladies and gentlemen welcome to art of the matter a show where we take you on a wild adventure through the indian art world art of the matter is presented by india's leading art intelligence firm artery india brought to you in partnership with the country's numero uno radio channel red fm in each episode we introduce you to some of the art world's most interesting personalities raise your knowledge bar on all that you need to know from this universe and answer any questions that you might have in regard with this fascinating domain on today's episode we speak to the queen of baroda mrs radhika rajagaikwad whose family owns the largest number of paintings by raja ravi varma She tells us about the adventures that come packaged part and parcel with being the custodian of such an incredible legacy. I'd like to welcome a very special guest on Art of the Matter today. We're joined by the Queen of Baroda, Mrs. Radhika Rajagaikwad. Her Instagram handle tells us that she's a heritage conservationist, textile revivalist, wildlife enthusiast, history narrator, traveler, writer and public speaker but we are interested in uh, unraveling another facet of uh, mrs gaikwad's personality that of uh, being an art patron it's a pleasure to have you uh, on the show uh, ma'am thank you so much i'm looking forward to our conversation it's long due it is it is uh, the, the feelings entirely mutual and i'd like to begin by uh, by telling you what a big fan i personally am of uh, the collection that your family houses particularly of the paintings by ravi varma uh, you know any art enthusiast who's grown up in india has looked up to the collection that is housed at the lakshmi vilas palace and the fatehgarh museum as uh, as perhaps the, the finest repository of art madam i'd like to invite you to talk about your journey over the past two decades you know having lived in close proximity with these paintings could you tell us about your uh, your your earliest memories about uh, you know your your first instances with the collection so my first instances of the collection didn't begin with the actual viewing of the paintings right so ravi varma is so in you know entrenched in our subconscious psyche as a visual uh, you know understanding or embodiment of our thoughts and uh, my grandmother was extremely religious and uh, she had these oleographs in her puja um, she was princess of dungarpur and therefore maharana pratap was a very very important figure in her uh, as a hero for her and uh, there was of course there is the painting of maharana pratap by Rajarai Verma is yes. well, which yes. uh, they print off with her, and uh, in the palace itself, I remember in the Darbar Hall in uh, Ranjit Vilas Palace of Vakaner, where I've spent a fair amount of my childhood, were two paintings which uh, are replicas. Right. And there is the uh, there was the Bishmal Pratigya mm-hmm. where he's taking the oaths. one of them was that the other one is a lesson one and i can't remember the name now i remember the painting but i never asked him and i didn't realize how wanting i am until now this moment <laughs> but uh, yeah so uh, you know rayu arma was all around us as it was for i'm a lot of us children you know growing up whether it was those chocolate kadabas or i mean those rust, rusty boxes were all over the yes. house you know things and keys we had these key boxes which always had the rayu arma print on them calendar pictures there's so much of it around and uh, 
and of course growing up i was studying in delhi i was going to all the museums that the, the modern art museum the national gallery and the national museum they were you know museums were very much part of my growing up and i grew up in delhi in very close to these areas i, I grew up in papa nagar which is very close to humayun's tomb just yes. opposite the uh, the the zoo and uh, so i was sort of surrounded by these uh, old monuments surrounded by going and visiting these museums so there was this these paintings were not something when i finally saw them I, you know once i got married it was not like didn't feel like i was seeing them for the first time i did know that you could immediately tell the importance of the paintings because suddenly you see them in a size you had never imagined yes so you're seeing them suddenly literally life size yes and i never imagine them to be as beautiful and large as that because even what was seen by in the museum by me were much smaller sizes mm-hmm. and the oleographs were of course so much smaller so to see them and magnificent and in the original setting of a palace you see you see them in the museum they look beautiful the lighting's lovely the conditions are perfect temperature control la 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 all of it but if you see them in the room that they were made and commissioned and in originally envisioned it's another feeling are uh, the the hall that they are in uh, presently many of them which are still in the palace is the gandhi hall which is the which is a sacred uh, throne room which is the most important a sanctified hall in the palace it's it's very simple our gadi is extremely simple if you look at it you would it's just a lakre ka gad throne with the gadi on it you know and a chhatri right. very simple nothing ornate not of gold or silver it's just a symbolic throne you know which really underlies the power that the dynasty had but also yes. extremely humbling and and rooted in what uh, you know that there's a lot of connectedness in that but the importance of the room can be judged by the fact that this is a room where your sita bhumi praveshes your lakshmi your saraswati the portrait of the maharani all by rai varma your um, kansmaya your kichak sairandri your all of these paintings are in this hall and the size is such because the ceilings are are so up and the walls are so tall so uh, that's why these paintings were made these paintings were specially commissioned for this palace which is what makes it so much more exciting and beautiful i think i was just mentioning this a little while back that you know what makes a living palace and the art that is exhibited in a palace so much more charming or interactive is the stories that go with it absolutely because you see it in a museum and it will say exhibit so and so you know provenance and artist and acrylic on or you know old watercolor or so on and so forth but when you see it in a palace you may not have any of that on display you just look at the work and you see the context it was made in and and so much is just told by that when you experience that whole think uh, and see it exactly as it was meant to be seen or was seen 125 years ago right so that's the beauty of it absolutely um i think it can be uh, an overwhelming experience you know for somebody uh, much like you as uh, you know as 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 a young individual i remember the first experience absolutely <laughs> i remember the first time i saw them in flesh and i say in flesh because so i walked in as a my grave pravesh happened i had not seen the palace till then and i was in a veil i was in a ghungat and it was, it was a beautiful grave pravesh and everyone was there welcoming and flower petals and music and all of that was happening and i was just looking around you know as a new cute as bride i was 23 years old and you're looking around through that golden veil of yours and you're like oh 
I have seen this at Louvre. Oh, th- this is at Pinacotec. You know, you're just looking at art and you think, um, you know, stuff you've seen, spent a lot of money at, you know, seeing in museums yes. around the world right here. And then at my first puja, the Grey Pravesh puja, actually took place in the Gadi Hall. And there I was seated and I see these two beautiful Lakshmi and Saraswati welcoming me, blessing me from the wall right there. Very sublime. Right. Um, Madam, you, um, you know, you, you speak of, of the privilege of being in, you know, close proximity, but you've also been very generous as a, as a patron. Uh, you know, the works have traveled to the NGMA Bombay. Um, you know, as I understand, in at least the pre-COVID time, you know, hundreds, uh, you know, an average of five to six hundred visitors would visit the palace. That's an integral part, I think, of uh, shouldering a legacy, of being able to share with uh, the community. I think, I think all art collections that can be called uh, great, I think, uh, grow in greatness only when they're, uh, when, they're, when they're sort of allowed to interact with the public. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Is this something that you uh, were cautious about at some level because it's allowing access, uh, you know, to the world at large at some level? Uh, you're right. But the thing is that this trend was already started by Sayajira Maharaj. Yes. When uh, paintings arrived, uh, when they were commissioned for the Baroda Palace, and uh, I believe 14 of them arrived and they were all from the mythological theme. The Maharaja decided to display them in the Darbar Hall and uh, open the palace up for the public, general public to come and see the works of, uh, of Ravi Varma and see these beautiful paintings. And that's the first time we know of, uh, of an individual allowing the works of a private uh, collection to be viewed by public. Right. It had, in my knowledge, not happened before. And some of these paintings were also um, viewed in Bombay before they even arrived here. And all with the green signal of the Maharaja. So this was really a big step. And, and it, is, uh, it is established that Rayu Varma benefited from that exposure and patronage he received from this family. And it was not just because he was painting and those paintings were locked up in these beautiful halls. It was because there was conversation that happened about it and there was networking that happened. The offices of the and the administration of Baroda was working towards patronizing and promoting these artists. There was a lot of interaction that was happening on behalf of the artists. It's almost like like an agent <laughs> and to no personal benefit it was just sure. to patronize and give that impetus to art right this is this is actually a very interesting point that is made that of a, a collector going beyond just uh, acquiring works and paying a, a certain fee for buying the work uh, i think the role of patronage extends beyond uh, just monetary transactions and uh, Sayaji was perhaps uh, a visionary in that sense because the reason Ravi Verma is, is as celebrated as he is is because of the exposure that he received, because of the uh, the immense value that uh, that that uh, buzz you know that was generated by virtue of these viewings translated for him. In the current context, I understand your role uh, within the collection uh, sort of is deeply involved in widening uh, the holdings. I mean, I. To my note, um, understand that you've, you've added several oleographs to the collection. Could you tell us a little about your ongoing efforts to, to elevate the uh, collection as it stands? Unfortunately, we can't afford to buy any more paintings. <laughs> so, <laughs> the best way to expand that collection, to keep it growing, our contribution is to add the oleographs to make it a, a more visual experience for people. There is this love for Rai Varma. There is this they come to view Ravi Varma as an 
as a family it's just a little bit of an effort to kind of expand that just psychologically i feel i am i am contributing in my own small way it's interesting to know that three paintings of ravi varma were purchased by my father in law right he has purchased three paintings there's shakuntala letter writing there's urvashi and there's radha and kunjwan and right. uh, this was perhaps i think in the 80s that he he bought these three paintings so right. he actually enhanced the the collection all right as long as the collection grows ma'am uh, you know the the manner in which i perceive the growth of a collection is it goes beyond media material it could be memorabilia it could be any material that uh, that just goes to widen the conversation between what is already existing and any any you know missing gaps that exist the three paintings that you speak of that your father in law acquired could you tell us a little about them you know did they come with uh, established provenance in place uh, or was it i mean was the instinct Uh, involved in in this in this uh, pursuit my father in law was an artist himself he was right. a trained uh, professional artist he was trained at the royal college of art and uh, also in baroda and right. uh, so it was instinct because uh, these three paintings were bought to him they were unsigned right they were credited with being rajwarna but mm-hmm. it was you know anyone's guess and he decided to buy them and then when he had them restored and then in the cleaning the signature right so it was a gamble but yeah being an artist he had that instinct he knew right that. and things like you know i've done cushions with the ravi varma oleographs which are great for people to take back with them you know Absolutely. to make it art accessible and the truth they told ravi varma did that himself he Absolutely. used the medium differently he used technology to make his art accessible he innovated in that Uh, in his own field so it's nice uh, in our own small way to take that you know take that uh, that story forward absolutely madam i think the the point that you've just made i think is is one that is uh, deeply crucial art unless accessed by the community and enjoyed by one and all kind of defeats its own purpose it has to be uh, within the public domain and i think you you've made uh, tremendous strides in that direction if i may uh, ask you about you know the uh, concept of patronage in in contemporary times i think you know sayaji and what he set into motion has really raised the bar very very high for uh, you know contemporary patron how do you see that any are efforts being made uh, in in any manner to patronize the contemporary art scene within uh, within your fold honestly my father lord did a lot in his lifetime until the very end he was patronizing he was supporting he was uh, he was recognizing a lot of the artists especially of baroda in our case the generation thereafter honestly i have not done much it's not a field i come from i am passionate about art i understand it academically but that gut or instinct which my father lord had or the connect he had with the artists is unfortunately not there with me so much also because i don't come from baroda so i have not uh, you know mingled with them from before that connect is not so much that it's more with the senior artists who are already established who i know as friends of my in-laws not really so much it's just maybe some struggling artist that you know needs to needs to be connected with maybe a gallery or something like that maybe a small very very small effort like that but not uh, not in the effective way of maharaja taji rao or the right up to my father right. i i think the bar was raised so high that it does become a little hard to breach that level i would like to understand um, you know your interest in textiles and uh, and how that uh, 
terms of your patronage, how that uh, sort of finds a form. Could you tell us a little about that? I grew up around textiles. I, I saw a lot of fashion and uh, exposure to textiles. My father has always worn textiles from all over. There'll be a Bhutanese, uh, you know, choga with a with an Uzbeki topi and all of that. I mean, they, that's his normal home wear. So there was a lot of textile. My mother was always, you know, open and drawn to textiles from around the, the country. She's I've always only seen her in saris. My mother-in-law, of course, has a great cache of textiles that she's you know preserved and and you know maintained over you know generations and uh, so it was just i think i i like dressing up i think it came as if i oversimplified i think i like dressing up and so i liked fabric and textile i think there were these old sarees that i would as a kid wear and twirl around it and i think it was a lot of that and uh, then of course seeing these beautiful textiles the idea of 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 replicating them it came more from a idea to replicate them and then one realized it was not possible to and that's why the whole initiative to revive them and why can't they be made why can't they be replicated that whole conversation with the art with the weavers and then understanding where the where the problems were they don't have the the technique they've not learned because you know the generations have lost it over time they don't have any um, visual references to know what was made these were bunkars who were making they did not have the luxury of of keeping any textiles for themselves that's why collections are like ours become important because yes. they are the perhaps the last physical documentation of, of these textiles that's why that urge to to bring them back into life that that became a passion and uh, you know it began with chanderi it's now gone on to the baroda shalu but alongside also i think i'm passionate about all crafts so it's it's not necessary only a textile or a sari it could be any craft which uh, an or artisan which needs uh, support i think that conversation i think as indians i, I just feel very strongly as an indian i i feel we need to just come back and understand our the, our craft and our culture because it's so interconnected you know so if i'm talking about culture which is what i'm doing sitting here i cannot be uh, uh, sitting in uh, in a room which is done up in with uh, in versace or ms however high society or high quality it may be i mean it all is so interconnected in india everything is interconnected your culture heritage tradition your music your food they cannot have a dialogue of one without the other they all so synchronized that's a, that's a very beautiful point you make uh, madam uh, of the seamlessness of how a conversation can emerge within various facets that tie heritage and culture together i think that's something that uh, all young budding collectors must make a note of of a starting from a place of passion uh, you know as as uh, as you found uh, inspiration close home from from things that you were very sort of clued into Uh, and sort of subliminally perhaps drawn to uh, over, the, over the years growing up it was a natural extension for you to start collecting protecting and then preserving in a manner that became uh, you know over the years something that has tremendous value would you uh, have any similar insights to share with uh, with collectors if they are looking at collecting i mean one is to start from you know close home uh, things that come naturally to you but are there any specific pointers that you think we can uh, shed the light on uh, that you know one must keep in mind when they start collecting Uh, seriously anything i would say an artifact yes um, yeah an artifact okay so i think firstly it needs to resound with you somewhere it needs to resound i think if you look at at buying things only as an investment it's going to always only work on your mind as an investment it has to give you joy 
I think a lot of people have said this already, and I'm I'm probably repeating myself. But that's been my area. That's been my experience. I think if I have, whether it's a textile, whether it's I have umpteen numbers of old Parsi borders, and they're just a joy to to look at and to feel every time I pull them out. And you know, there's no thinking that uh, there are so many or that do I need so many. You you think of that as well, but. it's still with with love and it's still you know that these are beautiful pieces and and uh, and you've acquired something which is of great value to you i think that is that is the first thing secondly i honestly feel that it it should blend with your personality I, and i and that's why i mean i'm asking what it may personal not necessarily be with art but with with textiles with possession not everyone has big homes you know so you, if you aspire for a work of art you may like it very much and that's been in my experience i've traveled around the world i've, I've picked up pieces which are, are beautiful but then i bring them home and they don't go with the decor of my house because my house has such a strong personality of its own that everything doesn't blend in and i've learned that over the years because you want to you want something you like a modern painting you like a a glassware which is completely cage anything you know cushions which are full of color you try and set them in your home and they don't go so i think everyone must be mindful of the fact that you may like something and it looks great in a gallery or in a store or but will it look as nice in your personal space right right so i think uh, that is another aspect and i think something classic classic in the sense that something which which leans towards technique which leans towards something timeless traditional i think that will always always resurface as a winner you see that with on all all crafts right so a classic will never fade away it will always it hold it i mean there's no redundancy in him no of course absolutely absolutely the most glowing example we can uh, encounter bilkul up your chamba paintings your uh, kishangarh school of art they're all the typical traditional paintings but they'll never go out of style or you know suddenly not uh, capture uh, you know popular imagination that always there in your subconscious level is something you will always be drawn to collecting is so uh, personal as you as you certain narrated and sometimes you get your heart set on uh, an object or a, or a piece that you can't necessarily get access to right away are there any um, uh, special memories that you have of a piece that you had to wait for a while uh, a textile that you had your heart set on that you could not immediately access no maybe just a couple of sketches or paintings that have already been by the time i've seen them they've already been acquired by someone else right happened with a couple of sketches it's happened with a couple of yeah but nothing that i've really ha- lost out on and and Right. But I, I don't agonize over these things. So <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Patience is is uh, one of the attributes of a fine collector, and you know, not having regrets over things that slip away. Um, you know, so I think I think that really comes through in what you said. Is there one piece of advice you'd like to share with anyone listening? Uh, you know, who might have just that one single piece. Uh, I I ask this of you because you have these forty-five glorious masterpieces, uh, you know, that are that are within your immediate vicinity, that have required patience in terms of upkeep. Uh, you know, you need to keep a sort of very close and keen eye on how they're aging, uh, and also the observation of people encountering them on a ongoing basis. Is there one piece of advice you'd like to share with our listeners, uh, you know, who might already have something that is of value in their collection? I would say hold on to it. my advice to anyone is that if you have something of 
value hold on to it uh, there is this trend we have that if you sell it you buy something better you upgrade but i'm a little old fashioned in that way because i am personally not in a position that i can sell a painting off and buy a, a, another ravi varma it's not going to happen right um, you know i will not be able to do that you know speaking from my personal space again i say that hold on to it try and maintain and preserve it in the best possible way if you are not sure on how to conserve or restore then do not do it wait till you are absolutely sure who you want to hand over that painting to put them in a space where they they can get to breathe you get to see them enjoy your paintings i think it's a criminal waste just storing them enjoy them put them in the spaces you use uh, let them be a part of your uh, your and your children growing up i mean let it be very much part of your, your conscious state so that's my advice ravi varma's especially when they are so old the frames are very large and Uh, you know just a personal experience when we were taking them to ngma in mumbai mm-hmm. and the team which was doing them and of course there was a, a sarvi doshi ji at the helm who's like a goddess at this and, and that's why we would you know confident enough to take them to mumbai because uh, because the shoot was heard it was the first time that the paintings traveled out but right. uh, you know the team who was going to be packing them and and transporting them was the same team which had brought the picasso paintings right you know when the picasso yes. come to india Yes. And so we were quite confident it will happen, you know. <laughs> and then the guys came, and they were completely shocked because they had not imagined the size of the paintings <laughs> and the weight of the frames. So each painting had to be removed from the frame. Right. Then the glass had to be removed. There had to be a cushioning between the frame and the painting. Right. And then taken because of that, the glass had broken or the shard had. you know damage the painting it would have been disastrous My so God, so but yeah. and then of course you know our guardies are piloting that whole journey of the they had to go by road to bombay the same the whole rigmarole mounting and dismounting and all of that so uh, you know these paintings if you look at them and they're very beautiful and you say oh I, they could be looked after better and you know more should be done for them but it's hard you know in a personal space it's hard to do it you're not always able to give them the kind of uh, care that a museum can but uh, i don't yeah. think they mind being here i think they're quite happy being here <laughs> <laughs> they're home absolutely so on behalf of the fraternity thank you for uh, the decision to allow these works to travel i can imagine uh, what a what a what a huge uh, you know challenge it would have been uh, deciding to do so but the fraternity at large uh, was able to enjoy them in in a setting that was that was unique and perhaps a once in a lifetime experience all credit to my father in law late maharaja ranjit singh that was madam i want to thank you for uh, for your time and uh, and your thoughts uh, you know this wisdom will will certainly help uh, our listeners in more ways than one uh, thank you once again thank you i enjoyed this conversation Now, if there's anything that you wanted to know about Indian art, but have been too afraid to or haven't known whom to ask, look no further. We're right here at your beck and call. Send us an email on contact at artityindia dot com, and we'll get our friendly elves to start working on a suitable response to your question right away. Till you hear from us next, years wishing you all a very happy arty time. And as always, when you think art, think artery.